Today is Wednesday. It's March 15th, 2023. It's the Ides of March, and it is 246. This is John Williams, and this is the Mincing Rascals podcast. We broadcast portions of this when sports ain't in the way on WGN Radio, Saturday nights at 8. A lot of sports are in the way these days. You can listen to my radio show weekdays on WGN from 10 to 2. What's up, guys? Brandon Pope from On the Block of Block Club Chicago on WCIU and WB. I'm Austin Berg from the Illinois Policy Institute. You can listen to my podcast, America's Talking, and watch the documentary, Local One, on YouTube. I'm Eric Zorn. I'm the publisher of the Picayune Sentinel. I've spent most of today creating my brackets for Tweet Madness. It's my uh, annual (laughs) tournament. I do a bracket tournament of all the funny tweets that have won my weekly contest. So go to the Picayune Sentinel, and you'll be able to go through and help me select the funniest tweet of the year. We have a best pizza in Chicago bracket up right now, broken into four regions. By the way, Austin, um, last we spoke, you were at a quarter million views on your movie. I think that was the number. Do you have a head count for us now? Yeah, it should. This morning it passed 310,000. Wow. So it just keeps going up. And almost all of them are in Chicago. So I think people are hungry for information about the race is what's driving a lot of that. 300,000 downloads or views of the movie in Chicago, or mostly in Chicago? Mostly. Mm-hmm. How many people voted in the last race? I mean, that's pretty <laughs> That's about, pretty impressive. Uh, I think the it was 570,000, 560,000 votes. Think about that. So a lot of people have seen it. What kind of feedback are you getting from Local One? Uh, not wow. from the union per se, but well, just about yeah, the movie. Well, <laughs> from the union, it's sort of, um, I would describe the response as sort of, chaotic or something um so they sent a angry note twice are they suing angry. you are they suing you they're not suing me um for the madigan documentary i almost was deposed for that oh wow and the judge threw that out so madigan's lawyers tried to get me and a couple other people worked on that film um deposed in court and the judge i prepared for it and the judge that morning let us off that was not fun none of that has happened as a result of this um the ctu's response has been to be quiet about it in the media but then internally to members they've been uh there's been a lot of acrimony within the union among rank and file about the union uh sending lots of money to brandon johnson's campaign and uh more than a million dollars i think it's up to like 1.5 million dollars in member dues going to the campaign and not all members want their money going to that and so many of them went on uh, chicago tonight did an interview with paris schutz uh, saying we don't like this, we need more transparency, there needs to be more democracy in doing this. And they sent two internal notes to all union members saying, you know, the anti-union Illinois Policy Institute is stirring up uh, this, these problems, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. They used <laughs> phrases like, the call is coming from inside the house and class enemies. So, you know. Who's that supposed to describe? Class enemies are, you know, the folks that if you're a CTU member and you speak up about how the union uses your money, you're siding with class enemies, which is just sort of a classic kind of Marxist phrase, like Marxist in the academic sense. Like they're, these are cla- enemies of, our, of, of the working class that you're siding with. Uh, and then we had a couple people try to boycott the Davis Theater in Lincoln Square <laughs> where the, we showed the film. Premier. That was unsuccessful. Uh, and then the the awesome feedback has been from teachers. That's been the best. 
So there are people in CTU who have reached out and, and working educators in Chicago public schools saying thank you for doing this. They raise their dues by $8 a month. Is that correct? Or $8 a year? $8 a month. Month to fund Brandon Johnson's campaign largely, or they're just their political outreach in general? Almost entirely Brandon Johnson's campaign. So I think the, I the latest, they gave $1.5 million to their PAC, and then the PAC gave $1.2 million to Brandon Johnson. How much money do they have? They're a $30 million a year organization. And okay, but geez, a million of 30 sounds like a lot to me. It I mean, is a ton. And, I, and I wouldn't want weird any of my that, dues. If I'm paying dues, teachers ain't getting rich, and they don't have Social Security down the road. You're giving my money to political – yes, John, they are. I know it, but I, I don't know. It just sounds – Don't they have the right in Illinois not to have their money go to political purposes if so they want? That, that was before the Janus decision. So the Janus decision basically said, hey, right now, government workers are required to pay this much of their money to a union to keep their job, right? And before Janice, people could say, I want to be a fair share payer. I just don't want any of my money being used towards politics. And that's a really, I think it's it was kind of a half measure. It doesn't really make sense. Like the money's still fungible. Only 19% of the money that CTU collects actually goes to representational activities, for example, like actually servicing teachers in, repre- in, in, collect- in disputes, for example. Uh, but after Janice, that Supreme Court case, people can... Uh, keep their job and stop paying the union entirely. So it's a binary choice. Either you're in the union and you pay full dues or you leave the union and don't pay anything. If you leave the union and don't pay anything, do you still have the same benefits as teachers? You get that you fall under the same contract yeah. because they're your, because of state law, they're your exclusive representative and nobody else can represent. How many you. people are doing that, that Austin? Do you know, are a lot of people opting out? It's, it's, the reporting requirements for local unions especially are really lax, so we don't know for certain how many people have opted out. But, I mean, Illinois Policy Institute has, because we've worked with so many government workers who do not want to pay for this kind of stuff, has personally helped thousands of government workers in Illinois opt out um, and stop paying dues. Uh, what's really screwed up is uh, the Chicago Teachers Union especially makes that very hard to do. If you want to opt out of the union, you can only do so in August of every year. So you can go back and say, you know, you could you could stop wanting. To, for example, right now, if someone said, I do not want any of my money going to Brandon Johnson's campaign. Too bad. You cannot opt out of the union for another few months. Wait until August when you're on vacation that. and not thinking about it. OK, well, it's a Wednesday and this is the mincing rascals. So the candidates must be debating. The exposure they're getting in forums and debates, I think, is helpful. I don't know if there was this much banter back and forth in previous election cycles, but it hasn't been hard to see the last two candidates standing and hear their views. And one of the best forums was hosted by Arne Duncan's Chicago Cred Organization, and it was moderated by Laura Washington from the Trib and ABC7 and the Picayune Sentinel's Eric Zorn. Of particular note was the fact that this debate and format allowed us to hear them clarify their positions. Brandon Johnson on what he means or meant by defund the police, and Paul Vallis on what he means or meant by taking the cuffs off of the police. Uh, Eric, kudos to you guys. Uh, We'll insert a couple of clips here from that debate per se, but I don't know if it was something about the format or the fact that there were just the two of you, but... 
Well, sometimes there's four, but I don't know. It just seemed like you guys had the ability to finally get them to speak on the record about how they felt about some divisive things that maybe are misrepresented. I, I hope you felt that way, too, as a viewer of it online. I thought it was a really good debate. Oh, yeah, thank you. And, and I will have a link to the video in the Picayune Sentinel tomorrow, and I, I think it's at the Chicago Cred Facebook page right now. And you're right, John, because there were just two candidates on stage and not nine, it was a lot easier to, to drill down and to ask follow-up questions. And the other thing that made it easier was that we really tried to keep ourselves focused on the issue of public safety, that we weren't trying to get, you know, education and immigration and mm-hmm. abortion and all these and, and tax policy and all that. We were really trying to to get them to focus on that one issue. So we were able to follow up. I I, I think we failed to really pin down Brandon Johnson about what he has meant by calling the uh, defund the police a real uh, actual political goal. He says that uh, he's, he was, when he was questioned about that, uh, he, he said, he said, uh, well, it's a goal, but it's not, not necessarily my goal. In a December 2020 appearance on WCPT, you said that defund the police was, quote, an actual real political goal, unquote. You've made other statements that appear to support that goal. Now you are saying that you've never said fund, defund the police. So I'd like a straight answer. What did you mean when you said those things in the past, and how has your changing how has your thinking changed since then? My thinking has not changed. Listen, there are people who want to see the police budget defunded. Are, are you one of them? Listen to what I'm saying. Are you one Give of me them? an opportunity to answer the question. Okay. I said it was a political goal. I never said it was mine. Which was a very strange and evasive and, and not credible response, I thought. I think that back in 2020, he was espousing that slogan. I'm not sure what he meant by it, but for him to sort of say that he wasn't embracing it, that he was describing it, it d- does not inspire confidence in his in his honesty, his straightforwardness. I was, I was disappointed in that, uh, although I have to say that I expected that response. Um, the truth is that defund the police has always been a really problematic slogan with different meanings to different people. Whoever decided that, to name it that, Eric? Oh, um, I, I don't know. I, I wrote a column right away when that case started coming out, saying this is a really bad idea because what they were, what they were, what they meant by defund was was not totally take not like decapitate take take everything off but they they were they were thinking of it more the way you you know you would like uh to deaccession something or decentralizing or devaluing or something like that or deregulating you're not getting rid of all regulations or or, or all value you're just you're just re- reprioritizing and that's really what they were talking about was moving money around law enforcement money around into various areas that they think are are more effective that that are arguably more effective but that the slogan itself it, it sounded like the people who are like against prison like say we we don't we don't, we don't think prison is a bad idea and and uh, there there and there definitely were people in the movement who say we should not have any police at all so so aligning himself with that uh, inartfully as he did that's that's fine you know, it was it was a very tense summer there's a lot going on but then to talk about what he thinks now. I mean, he could say, look, I said this back then. This is what I this is what I meant. This is what I think now. But instead, denying that he said it, in a sense, denying that he was embracing that movement, it just seems, seems uh, like I said, not it doesn't make him seem very trustworthy. I thought it was interesting that um, he said it wasn't his goal. 
because I, I'm not sure if it was the exact same radio show that that initial clip was taken from where he's talking about this as sort of a, it's not just a slogan, it's a real political goal. I think it was f- with the same station. It may have been even the same show. But later on, he says, we know the mayor of Chicago here rebuked this call to redirect money to defund this system of incarceration and policing and goes on to say, so whether it's the president or Lori Lightfoot, uh, who I think is actually quite dismissive of the young people who are literally putting their lives on the line for a cause that I think, quite frankly, is not just admirable, but it's necessary. So he absolutely was in line with those calls to defund the police, which I agree with Eric. That is a that's a position you can take. And it was especially, um, I think, important for him to signal that he was taking that position, uh, given his political base, which is a a very, very progressive uh, part of the city. But now that that is has political consequences, he is clearly backing away from it entirely. Hmm. Um, And that was disappointing. When you hear defund the police, what do you hear? I mean, when I hear defund the police, I hear it as redistribute money and use it for other things. The problem is when you say defund, this, this is the problem that so many Democrats have gotten their, their self into. The word defund means take away, <laughs> to you know, literally take something away, and it doesn't offer the context of an alternative. So I think the defund word, it's just been, the, the slogan itself has just been awful. I don't yeah. know who came up with the slogan. I don't know who, who did it, but it has been just this this scarlet letter for so many Democrats who I think mean well and don't literally mean we're going to take away all this money from police. Johnson's campaign, to be fair, his campaign is not defund the police. There's nothing in his campaign that is about defunding the police. He, He says he's going to commit to keeping the amount of spending they have right now at the number that it is, but taking money, any additional money would go toward mental health service and stuff like that. So, I just think he's he's facing that hurdle right now where he's the slogan is defining things for him when he should be able to define what he means by it. I agree with Eric that, that hey, in that interview, while he may have not been um, saying that he wants to defund the police, he was uh, he was supporting it. He was espousing it. Um, and so that's just something him and his campaign will have to navigate and really any campaign that wants to reimagine policing in a sense that defund word that that defund slogan it's been dogging people i i, I totally agree. reimagine is what they were looking for reimagine what yeah. policing yeah. could be and should yeah. be and 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 that slogan would have been i think more first of all more easily understood and more widely embraced uh that there, yeah. there was something quite radical sounding about defund the police and uh I, maybe it was the most radical elements uh, on the left that did that but but i i think that the call for reimagining police uh, is a good one that you know you can you can talk about how, how you, they need to to, you know, to add, you know look for less violent approaches to how they achieve public safety uh they aren't at the police aren't told to go deal with mental health and drug crises and homelessness and so on um means like piercing the veil of lies that protect bad officers and not allowing police unions to provide cover for their members and so on Uh, all those things are good goals and all those things do result in more trust in the community and they can result if you have these crisis intervention 
people, the violent violence interrupters, that this can also lower crime rates and and uh, reimagine the way we keep people safe. Right. What a good all idea. What a good idea. All of, that, all of it's a good idea and all of it's defensible and arguable. And I don't know why Johnson is, is so afraid just to say this is what I meant by that, rather than to say I never said it, which uh, which is uh, a difficult thing to do when they when he's on tape. Well, reminds- I think what he's saying, he didn't say it. I, I think he's saying he he's never said defund the police as part of his campaign. I think that's what he's trying to say. I don't think he's being eloquent enough in 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 what needs to be said here if he's trying to get out of that defund the police he said it's an idea but it's not my idea which sounds so squirmy yeah and it does sound squirmy and you know the whole thing reminds me a little bit of climate change versus global warming when we first got attuned to that everybody was in a crisis about global warming and then you have congressmen on the house floor with snowballs going i don't see any global warming what's the problem well you dope it's because the climate is changing that's the problem so sometimes it's too cold sometimes it's too hot but mostly it's going to get warmer and that's what climate change looks like but that doesn't sound an alarm the same way reimagining the police doesn't sound maybe active enough in the summer of 2020 when by god we've got to do something these cops are beating and shooting the kids so what are we going to do well reimagine the police sounds too fluffy so we're gonna defund them well i'm with you eric if that was the emotion of the moment own it go ahead and say yeah we 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 shouldn't have called it that that's where our head was but i'm going to redeploy the forces to make more sense. We don't have cops going on calls that they don't need to be going on. I mean, Austin, isn't that really what is behind the movement? It depends which faction of the movement you're talking about. I think there are plenty of people who who are like, yeah, um, police are called to do too much in the community. I would say 80 80 plus percent of people would agree with that statement. Yep. But within the same circles and the same movement, there are folks who are prison abolitionists who think, there should be police and there should be prisons. And that's that, not I mean that's you can not, you can argue that, but that that is a a core part of that movement. There are are plenty of activists in Chicago and uh for whom that is their explicit goal. Well what a shame so because it, it plenty it, of people who 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 support the idea of reimagining the police are a million miles from something that radical or stupid. I, so I, I, I totally agree. And what you would see and I mean I went to a couple of these uh of marches in Chicago uh that summer and the problem is you're you're there and you want to express some solidarity with some kind of reform that has to happen. And next to you are people saying, you know, all cops are bastards or abolish prisons or whatever, like stuff like really that. spicy stuff. Yeah, that most people wouldn't agree with. And it, it's a real it's a real challenge to get to get um, serious criminal justice reform done. Yeah. When those are some of the loudest voices. The tough part is that what Austin just referred to, that the loudest voices the, the Democrats and the left have allowed the loudest voices and the activists to define things for them or put something and, and put this label onto them. And the Democrats nationally and locally have just done a terrible job of trying to find a way from under it. It's really been the activist wing, the prison abolitionists, the people that are on the radical left who have been really pushing that moniker, defund the police, get rid of prisons, police shouldn't exist which I think most of the public thinks is a wild idea. You talk to black, white, Latino, 
most say, well, we do need some police. Like, come on. So, like, dozens. Like, come on. We need dozens of police officers in Chicago, maybe even hundreds. What's the police force? 11,000? It's massive and it's understaffed. It reminds you a little bit, doesn't it, of Republicans in the House of Representatives who are being colored by the most radical voices, but there it is, even if it doesn't really represent the feelings of the whole party. Eric, I know you were about to say something. I wanted to bring up the similar sort of set of circumstances Paul Vallis finds himself in, but what were you going to say, Eric? Well, I was just going to say that Brandon Johnson is a very uh, impressive presence on stage. I, I was in watching him in the debates and watching him real up close last night. He's quick. He speaks. Uh, he's 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 he really speaks off the cuff very well. I think he's charismatic. And he could easily talk his way through this defund the police <laughs> problem, which is which is sort of strange because if he if you were a hesitant speaker or not good with words, but he is all those things. He's he's uh, you know compared to Vallis, he's a very magnetic presence on stage. So I thought that was uh, it's a little bit ironic that he seems to be running away from from this uh, this issue. So. But in a room that was not on his side, Vallis is more than competent. He may not be charismatic, yeah. but he knows his stuff. He he does have words at the ready to explain his position. I thought both of the candidates comported themselves very well. I saw the gap narrowing between the two. You may have seen the victory research survey that said the margin, remember, in the preliminary round was 14 points between the two, but the bet now is it's maybe 5%. Yeah, I think the victory poll had the gap at around 6%, so it was 45 Vallis, 39 um, 39 Johnson, and then 16 or so undecided. The thing about a gap like that is it essentially means Vallis can win with, he just has to get one out of three every undecided, but Johnson has to get two out of every three. So it's a, it's a very steep climb, and it's also, uh, I believe, early voting starts in five days. I think it's March 20th. So if you have a head start, it's a huge advantage because Election Day is every day for two weeks, uh, and you're kind of racking up votes. So I think if you're the Vallis campaign, yeah, that is close. It's closer than what the margin was. But you also look at that poll and see, I believe, almost a third of the black vote was for Vallis. I don't know if I quite believe that. That was what the crosstabs of that poll showed. And then he was tied, or I believe even winning by a point, the Hispanic vote in Chicago. So that's really encouraging if you're the Vallis campaign. And what's going to be interesting to see is each candidate now is going to try to define their opponent with these negative ads and we have not seen those really take effect for Mm -mm. for brandon johnson Mm -mm. we saw a little bit of that against vallis in the first round and then once folks saw okay this is this guy's probably going to get first i'm going to train fire on everybody else but now it's going to be all right everybody paul vallis is is a republican who wants to take away your right to choose who is a racist and brandon johnson he is defund the police and higher taxes so which which either of those two messages, the targeting of those and the frequency of those, I think will probably determine where that last undecided bit goes. Well, I'm wondering, a lot, Paul Vallis is a very well-known commodity in this town. He's been around he, when he was uh, budget director in the early 90s. He ran the schools from 95 to 2001. He ran for governor. He ran for lieutenant governor. He's run for mayor now twice. Uh, he's someone people know, so I'm wondering if the undecided voters here are just people who are trying to make up. They they know Vallis, and they're trying to make up their mind about Brandon Johnson, trying to get a, a fix on what he would really be like as a mayor. Um, that's my sense. I think people 
feel like they know Paul Vallis and they don't know Brandon Johnson. And so the the election or the, these voters are sort of Johnson's to win or to win over. Uh, you know, it may, it may be a tough climb. I'm also curious how much endorsements are going to matter in this cycle. Um, we just saw Jamal Green endorse Paul Vallis. Jamal Green, a guy who has branded himself a progressive, um, a Bernie Sanders supporter, aligns himself with left groups. Is defund the police all he's all about defunding the police um, and he's supporting Paul Vallis. I, I find that very interesting and how Paul Vallis is OK with having a police defunder allegedly ally himself with them. Now we've got to kind of explain that one. But on the other side, uh, expect a round of endorsements next week. Um, big ones for Brandon Johnson, mostly from the black political establishment, but also a former mayoral candidate as well. Two of them. So that should be interesting to see. And I'm just wondering how those are going to play out. A lot of these are going to be endorsements that Johnson was seeking, um, and he's going to be very happy to have those once they're announced. And I just wonder if that's going to sway any of those undecided voters, mm-hmm. those two out of three that are needed. Yeah. Maybe those some of those two of three were Lightfoot voters. Maybe they were Chewy supporters. Maybe they were Cam Buckner supporters. And, you know, where are they going to want to go here? Like it's Brandon Johnson, you would think. So are you ta- you're talking Buckner, you think, is going to make an endorsement? Garcia is going to make an endorsement? Is Lightfoot going to make an endorsement? That, those are the ones that are sort of outstanding, right? Because Sawyer endorsed Vallis, right? And, and Willie and Wilson I, endorsed Vallis. I, I did not hear the J-Maul Green. That was, that's interesting. That, that just went really down today. So J-Maul um, yes. had 12,000 votes. Uh, Willie Wilson had 51,000 votes. Sawyer had 2,400 votes. It doesn't mean all those people are automatically going to vote again and vote the way their candidates said to go, but three black candidates are all on Vallis's side. You know, it reminds me a little bit of what happened with uh, Tony Preckwinkle and Lori Lightfoot in that election. You saw a lot of black electeds kind of start out to come out for Tony Preckwinkle. But then all of a sudden there was a wave that happened, and you saw a coalescing happen around Lightfoot towards the towards the real uh, finishing mark of that of that race, and then we saw what happened. I expect the endorsements you're going to see next week and the week after are going to feel a lot like that coalescing in a sense. They're ready. They they they, they are pushing, um, and I just I I don't know if endorsements matter. I think in some elections they do, and some they don't. I think in others, voters don't care at all, they, they, especially if they don't know who the person really is. But don't you suppose, Brandon, not gonna endorse, you don't that. think so? It's because you no. would imagine there's some sort of – you're right. I don't think uh, everybody that voted for J. Maul Green is going to do what J. Maul Green said. But there's a sort of cumulative effect where you just see the tide turning in somebody's favor, that it just kind of washes over the city. They go, wow, it, it really is Vallis's turn. Um, okay, I, you know, I'm, I'm either not going to vote or I'm not enthusiastic about voting for Brandon Johnson. I do think it cumulatively impacts you know, the voter zeitgeist out there, if nothing else. And it can also activate people on the other end, too. Like, I, I think you're right. It absolutely can, can enthuse or can, it can activate people against, depending on what those endorsements are and how they come out. Johnson needs them. <laughs> that's, that's the key. Vallis is the front runner. At this point, this man doesn't really have to do a debate. Honestly, if I was his campaign, I wouldn't be doing debates or forums at this point. Uh, I am I am behind the news here. What, what did Jamal Green say? I'm I'm really surprised by yeah. this endorsement. And and I think what I mean, yeah, he didn't have that many people vote for him, but that's a signal. That's a that's a uh, a permission. Jamal Green endorsing Bales gives a, gives a permission to uh, to people who were consider themselves progressive to say, well, okay, well, if Jamal Green 
who is, like you say, a Bernie Sanders Democrat, is saying it's okay to vote for Vallis. Uh, I mean, I think that's bigger than than uh, certainly bigger than Willie Wilson, I would think, because w- Willie Wilson's voters were going to vote for Vallis anyway. Yeah, and people who supported, but people who supported J. Maul Green or who had them had him like second or third on their list. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, has Sophia King hasn't come out for anybody, has, nope. or has she? No, no you've just got the three, Green, Wilson, and Sawyer. Do you know what, what, what uh, J-Moss So said? I'll tell you a few things. I can tell you what we had. I, I, I called him about this. We had a phone chat about this after he made the announcement. His official announcement, he talked about um, how him and Vallis have fundamental disagreements, but he believes that uh, Paul Vallis has committed to a sort of black agenda. And he also believes that Brandon Johnson is, quote unquote, you all have heard this before, he thinks Brandon Johnson's a fraud. And so a lot of this is more so J. Maul Green being anti-Brandon Johnson, it seems, than anything. But it is peculiar. I'm curious what the calculus was in this decision if there there wasn't a payment of some sort uh, or some sort of deal made. Because you are a branded progressive candidate. Bernie Sanders wing. That's how you cut your teeth. You've been trying to build this grassroots progressive support. Then you take a hard right veer <laughs> to go with Paul Vallis. And anyone who was a supporter of J. Maul Green, he got what, 2%? Yeah. You're, you're not going to vote for Paul Vallis. If, that's just such a hard right veer. that I'm just curious, what is his calculus here? And what is his political future, especially as a candidate? If he's making such a a sharp sh- uh, shift here, I don't know what it is because you look at him; he's still young. Yeah, um, and yeah. his and his youth class, in a sense, of black candidates and electeds, uh, the early thirties and forties, most of them are on the Johnson side of things, and most of them are on the far left or progressive sure, wing. Sure. Thing. So I just, where is he fit in that, and where does he see himself going? I'm just really fascinated by it. A shocker oh, yeah. to some. Maybe not a shocker to others. Now, did he use that language calling Johnson a fraud in in public, or was this just in a conversation well, with you? And was it in on the, the first record? round? And, in the first round, he released a website that. called brandonisafraud.com, dot com, which oh, I'm surprised okay. Brandon Pope didn't own. That was that you got to lock those down, Brandon. That's a risk. How is that available? I got to address that, right? I got to address that. <laughs> Um, he told me this both in, in private conversation, but he's also said it publicly. Well, it does make it look it's like he's trying to save his own skin. Like, all right, so I'm just going to get on the winning team. Maybe there'll be some equity for me down the road that way. He did that with Lori Lightfoot. He endorsed Lori Lightfoot, and and I think just yeah. kind of got shut out of her administration. He did that didn't work for him. So well, Pete just handed me a statement from him that said, "Yeah, here this is Jay Mal Green speaking today, right, Pete? Is that what I'm about to read? Okay, so this is a tweet, a pretty long tweet, top to bottom." All right, this is a tweet from J. Maul Green today. Yes, I knew I was going to get the privileged white north side progressives to be mad at me for my endorsement. But newsflash, this is a local race and young black kids are dying. We need tangible resources, not rhetoric or black unknown faces who won't commit to a plan. Sounds a little bit like what you were talking about. Brandon, this isn't mm-hmm. about black or white, Republican or Democrat. This is about who will commit to a plan and work with everyone. We played identity politics for the last four years and got nothing. All caps there. It's time to bring results while we organize the people to be more engaged. 
there's part of your answer. Although we thought we had the answer earlier because Jake Sheridan tweeted out, Jay Mall endorsed Paul Vallis for Chicago Mayor Monday. I was curious about the relationship and saw this Googling. Green challenged Vallis to come to Harold's Chicken during the 2019 campaign. Vallis grew up in Roseland but never had Harold's till he was 65. So the friendliness here has some history. Looks like the chicken plate in front of Alice has no sauce on it, per this pic. And then there's a picture oh of the two of them four, three year, four years ago. <laughs> and it's, I'll hold it up to you guys, but our listeners won't see it. But there they are. Um, Yikes. In, in one of those campaign stops, I'm in the hood, I'm with the people, I'm keeping it real. And there's Vallis eating some chicken with Jay Maul back in the day. So they go back a it's little hard, bit. It's hard to look professional eating Harold's just in regular <laughs> terms, but doing it as like a look at me like... I know. <laughs> look at me hanging out. It's Reminds me of it's Donald Trump ridiculous. with the taco bowl in front of him saying, Mexicans <laughs> yeah. love me. I, I find this interesting in Jay Maul's tweet statement. He said, Paul and I debate on policing, but let's be realistic. He can't inflate the budget with the amount of progressive aldermen and the new council is going to make decisions on policy and superintendent. He knows he would be held accountable and will work with everyone. I understand Um, the idea that people of color on the south and west side are fed up with Democrats, that they would throw in with somebody who is a Republican or conservative or pro-police. I mean, you know, it does make a little bit of sense that way, doesn't it? Why, why are we are we saying Paul Vallis is Republican now and conservative? Like, I just I don't buy that, honestly. And and I think there's a lot of people on the right who don't buy that <laughs> uh, based on some, you know, prominent folks tweets about him. I think they're very suspicious of him. Of course, He's, compared to Brandon Johnson, I, I think Eric has gotten it right in previous podcasts. He's an extreme centrist. That is how I would describe Paul <laughs> the Vallis. worst kind. No, yeah, he's but he I, is an old, an old school moderate Democrat, basically. I mean, I, I don't agree with him uh, or Brand, or or Austin about charter schools and vouchers and so on. Uh, but a lot of his positions are just old mainline Chicago old Democrat, old school Democrats. Yeah, and I don't, I don't, in the but the way he is cozied up to like Awake Illinois and some of these and, and going on. Podcasts with Jeannie Ives and things like that; those give me a lot of pause. Uh, and or he radio did say, shows with Dan Proft. Keep going. And he and he, well, he and he did say back in two thousand nine that if he was going to run again, I think he was talking about running for the county board. That he would run as a Republican. So, so he is. He's he's in the middle, and he's got leanings that that direction. I think that to say he's a, a Republican is wrong. I think to say that he is anti-choice is wrong. He's opposed to abortion, and he's he's explained, and I know a number of people who are like this, whose religious convictions make them personally opposed to abortion. They would never do it. They would never want their relatives to do it. But as a matter of law, as a matter of public policy, they believe in choice. I, I don't think that that's in, an inconsistent or frightening position. I think it's the one that's held by Joe Biden, uh, that, that this is uh, – that you, your religion teaches you something, but you also know that religion and government should be separate and the law should not be reinforcing people's religious beliefs. I'm not worried about Paul Vallis's position on abortion. Okay, but then what about Paul Vallis's position? This is the other thing to me. If – if defund the police is the albatross for Johnson, then um, is take the handcuffs 
off the police going to haunt Vallis to the end of this election cycle. Eric, that's something that you all asked him to clarify at the debate as well, right? Yeah, this was he was he's been quoted. He was quoted in the the Washington Post and various other places saying that he wanted to take the handcuffs off police. And he complained that he never said those exact words. And I think that he may have a point that he has spoken about the police being handcuffed uh, over time. And he has he has uh, clearly indicated that that's a problem. But in terms of exactly what he said, I think we maybe in the in the media and the public mind have conflated that with Willie Wilson's direct, blunt uh, expressions of taking the handcuffs off police and hunting criminals down like rabbits. But we did challenge him on that statement during the debate, and and he pivoted away from it and said that he doesn't see any sort of conflict between the idea of of uh, the, kind, the kind of policing that he is looking for uh, this you know restoring you know proactive policing uh, that, that he has he's previously expressed so uh, th- this didn't go over all that well in the hall you're on the record of saying we need to quote take the handcuffs off police that sounds like a recipe for police misconduct that costs taxpayers I- more than 80 million dollars a year in settlement costs and it also erodes the trust that is so vital to violence prevention. Um, how will, quote, removing the handcuffs from police build trust with the community and fight crime? Well, please let me know where I said that, because I know I've been on the stage where one, one or two of the uh, individuals next to me would make reference to that. But the bottom line is, I have talked about over and over again in columns, etc., is to restore proactive policing and proactive policing that is consistent with the consent decree. And I've said that over and over and over again. But I think that, that uh, he did better than Johnson did at kind of owning some of the words that he said while trying to trying to put a fine point on the fact that he feels that police are are handcuffed in what they want to do but that he's not urging us to take all the <clears throat> regulations off and he says he does believe in police reform well this is why they call him a republican because that that view is completely out of step with the mainstream democratic party the idea that police are handcuffed the idea that making sure the police have checks and balances and held accountable like surgeons and doctors if they make a mistake. The idea that that's putting handcuffs on them, that is literally just a Republican talking point. And he said it. He's tweeted it. Yeah, he's used he, it. He, he said, so, yeah, you're right. He said, he said, like, the officers we do have are demoralized and handcuffed. I, I think, you know, he was able to focus his attention on the fact that I never said the exact words, take the handcuffs off police. But when you complain that someone is handcuffed, I think you're implicitly saying you want those handcuffs taken off. So, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, again, it was kind of like Brandon Johnson, uh, maybe a, a little more artful, but but the same thing. In both, and the headlines in the papers to, in this morning on Wednesday morning were reflecting that they were saying that these guys were dancing away from what they've said before. There's two words, right? Yeah. It's defund. You can make a lot of sense and maybe even some friends if you just don't use the word defund. And I think that if you – I'm going to read the sentence again that Vallis said, and if you just don't have the word handcuffed, I think it's very palatable to a lot of people. He said, there are not enough police cars to respond to 911 priority calls. The officers we do have are demoralized and, ha- and handcuffed. There is no incentive to engage in proactive policing. That's true. And the criminals know it, and they're becoming bolder. There's an utter breakdown of law and order, he said. So, but for and handcuffed, Brandon, he's not 
blowing smoke there. That resonates. That makes sense, doesn't it? Well, that, that's that, not that, the that's, only thing you said. Well, I'm sorry, but that's not a Republican or a Democrat statement. That's just that's a fair reporting of the lay of the land, that the police are demoralized, that they have not been proactive. They are afraid to engage right now. The criminals are becoming bolder. They walk right into stores in the middle of daylight and walk right out. There's a breakdown of law and order. We've seen that since the pandemic started. Isn't all of that true? The word handcuffed itself implies that something's being done to hold police back from doing their job, which insinuates what's being used to hold them back from doing their job is police accountability and reforms. Like that's that's the whole idea of handcuff. It's 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 he's he's and he's he said this before. Like that statement itself he gave some other examples, but the handcuff police is like a, a vague thing he's putting out there that's literally used as a yeah <laughs> we're over we're over mandating police officers or these these checks and balances are a bad thing. And that's a that's a common view for some, but that is a conservative view. That, that is not the mainstream view of the Democratic Party. Yeah, and I think the thing that they are really talking about, or one of the main things they're talking about, is the pursuit policy, right? Where you don't chase if you see mm-hmm. somebody committing a crime and they run away, unless they've got a gun or are posing some immediate grave threat to public safety, you just let them run. And this really sticks in people's craw. They said, like, you know, somebody commits an evil act, runs away, and unless you think they're going to commit another evil act immediately, you just let them go. Uh, I think that that's something that, I mean, I think that's what he's talking about. And I wish that this forum had been like another hour longer and we could have drilled down further into what he meant by that. Because, yeah, the fact that, I mean, we got hung up on, on these exact, with both candidates, we got hung up on exact wording and we needed to, push past that and i think we all we were able to do really was expose that they were they were parsing their language very carefully here and we weren't able to get behind that uh, unfortunately but we did try i think it's fair to say for both candidates that with both of those situations like neither of those really are in their current campaign strategy or what the way they're presenting brandon johnson has now not, not been advocating for defund the police during this campaign. And I don't think Paul Vallis during this campaign has advocated for undoing reforms to policing. Right? I think I think both can can be argued. It's but but their word choice and what they did in the past. That stuff. That stuff. It's going to stick with you, right? Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. And the tough and thing with Paul Vallis is there's a lot of stuff in his past that isn't sticking with him. You have to answer for the things you've said in the past, and um, this is one of them. Putting on my. Um cold cynical calculating political hat which is i guess this what had him in the yarmouth the yarmouth clam festival <laughs> nice cap um that wearing that hat if you're in see a it. race where yarmouth clam fest nice yarmouth clam Very festival nice. yarmouth maine in a race where crime is we pulled on this ahead of the first round crime is the number one issue for over 70 percent of voters in chicago if you have attack ads featuring someone saying the words defund, speaking about it admirably, versus an attack ad that cites a quote or tweets or you know written statements from someone else saying police are handcuffed, I think one of those ads is running all day, and the other one probably doesn't move numbers hardly at all. And I think that's in an in a race where public safety is the top issue. How many undecided voters is Brandon Johnson going to be able to get? two-thirds of the undecided voters when he's getting slammed and having to explain what defund the police means. That is that is going to be his big hurdle. Yeah. 
those those sound bites do matter absolutely that's it's going to be a tough one. It's it's a it's a it's an interesting race for sure. Yeah, remember it's, early on in the campaign, there's too, something on both of them. <clears throat> there was some conversation on this podcast about Vallis's "Take the City Back" campaign slogan, which he distanced himself from. Brandon, he's not you're not Ooh. hearing him. You're not hearing him use that much anymore. And I don't know if you saw the piece by Jeff Epton. Bernie Epton's son that ran in the Tribune this week, but he called his dad out for the dog whistle that thing was. Even if his dad didn't intend it to be a dog whistle, it worked that way. It worked against him. And Epton told us on the radio this week, the son, that when the piece finally ran, by that time it would appear as though Vallis got the message that that's not going to be a helpful phrase for him, and you have not heard him kick that around uh, much anymore take the city back as opposed to before it's too late or whatever yeah that was yeah that was uh bernie epton's slogan before it's too late and i thought it was very clearly saying you know vote for bernie epton before a black guy becomes mayor uh i don't think that that's exactly what Vallis meant I, I know people hear it in different ways i i think he was he was more talking about you know getting crime under control take back the the streets and so i don't think he was saying kick the kick the black lady out of city hall and out of the county building and all. i i don't get that vibe from him and i don't get that vibe from the campaign but you know that's that's a a white guy talking so yeah. i think the other Those thing dog yeah and it, i mean he's right to get criticized for that i think and at the same time, you look at a piece from Bernie Epton's son, and just the coalition of voters voting for voting in that 1980s election versus today, it's it, it's such a strained comparison. Brandon Johnson's most, the most votes he got, the most ardent support he got is the most progressive, whitest wards. Paul Vallis beat Brandon Johnson in most black wards and in most Latino wards. So the I just think it's this is something that the Chicago Teachers Union has been pushing since the first day of this runoff election. They were kneecapped in doing that because of and I think this was actually the most important endorsement of the race. Jesse White's endorsement of Paul Vallis the day after the election, because they looked insane calling this guy a racist who only is caring about the white voters of Chicago. And you have Jesse White, the most beloved politician, period. Not to mention but black politicians in Chicago coming out that same day. And and so there's that, you know, optics, right, which is just like politics. But I think in terms of the actual coalition of who's voting for these candidates, it just doesn't break down the same way as all the whites vote for Bernie Epton and all the black Chicagoans vote for Harold Washington. Let's uh, let's move on. to We spend most of our time here talking about this, which is fine. I've been very interested in what you all had to say about this. But in the time we have left, I want to skip into just a couple of other topics. And maybe it's just as well we don't have a lot of time because none of us are banking uh, regulation experts. Uh, but the failure of Silicon Valley Bank has everyone asking how safe deposits are and should deposits over $250,000 be made whole, even though the FDIC insurance only covers the first two fifty k. So our news click said, and boy, we've had guests and callers ranting and raving, nobody's saving me when I lose 250000 I put my home's equity up when I opened up a business, and when the business failed, I lost my house. So why is it that a depositor, mind you, it's not the assets of the bank, the deposits of the bank, but why is it that these people who have $251,000 are made whole? I don't get that treatment. Now, you guys have heard those kinds of conversations. 
Um, Eric, what are you hearing or thinking or feeling about what's happened at Silicon Valley? It does seem to me like having a threshold at $250,000 per account is not an unreasonable figure. And it encourages, I guess, people to spread their assets around and put them in different institutions. Uh, so I don't, I don't have a problem with the two hundred fifty thousand limit, and I, I don't. That, that's just a, a gut response. It's much different than the last bailout, that's for certain, because uh, bondholders are getting wi- wiped out, and um, you know, stockholders are getting wiped out yeah. uh, from this bank. So that's different. Executives are not making out like bandits, right? No. Um, in a in a as clear of a way but at the same time there is some level of moral hazard introduced when people don't have to think about the riskiness of where they're putting their money and oh my god i can't imagine the terror you would feel as a small business owner knowing that the place where you keep all the money that you've earned that you need to pay your employees has gone belly up like i would not wish that stress and anxiety upon any person but at the same time there were plenty of people who made tons of money from silicon valley bank while it was engaging in practices that were completely reckless in some ways they're not going to bear the full brunt of that you know the people who made all of that money they're not going to bear the brunt of the fact that the government is now bailing out depositors because you did something risky so I, I do think there needs to be total reexamination of sort of what incentives are at play when you talk about the FDIC insuring assets, because as soon as you have a backstop on risk like that, it encourages riskier and riskier behavior. And some people who did bad things are going to make a lot of money off of that. I did hear the notion of a clawback on the radio today that maybe some of those investors or people who made who did well via Silicon Valley might actually be asked to pay, but that sounds like a stretch. It does make you feel like government regulation in general isn't necessarily a bad word, that maybe some of the regulations which were eased in the Trump administration, maybe that wasn't such a good idea. Um, Maybe this fortifies the Biden administration's ideas about more regulation in certain industries, certainly the banking industry. So you wonder how that's just going to play out, how that'll trickle out. Uh, uh, what about you, yeah. Brandon? What are your thoughts? I mean, it's bad optics, I think, when you have many small businesses and people that you know work their tails off to um, get their businesses off the ground. Um, they're right to look at this and be like, wow, where's my bailout? Where was my support? Where's my help? Especially after COVID, like, you know, COVID was rough for a lot of businesses, a lot of businesses. So, you know, I'm not an expert on it like like the rest of us are not experts on it. But outside looking in, I'm, I'm with you, John. I think that 2018 uh, Trump banking bill needs to be looked at. Um, and I think that there needs to be a, a deeper dive. And I'm sure there will be into SVB's, you know, financial dealings and how they handled this. Um, I, I think the conversation around this has been fascinating. We got... Uh, there was like this Wall Street Journal article that was put out, a column where the dude basically asserted that because there may have been black people on the board, that this is what led to SVB uh, failing. And that was this that was God. weird. So now you got this this weird, you know, wokeism narrative and all this type of stuff going around. So I'm I'm still looking into that and what that all entails. I don't understand it. Speaking of regulations, Brandon, do you think that the government should regulate what a chicken wing is? <laughs> We've been waiting for this. Uh, absolutely. I I am I've always been incensed by this. I'm probably the number one I'm surprised I didn't do this lawsuit. Um chicken wings <laughs> have bones in them, everybody. Chicken wings have bones in them. 
If you, there's no such thing as a boneless chicken wing. No such thing. And boneless chicken wings, the meat in boneless chicken wings, it's barely chicken wing meat. A lot of it's like leftover breast meat and, and, and thigh meat. Like, this is, this is ridiculous. They are chicken nuggets. That's exactly what they are. And it's about time somebody sues Buffalo Wild Wings for fooling the American people. Which is why Eric brought it up. There's an actual lawsuit. A guy is suing them because the wings are not wings as advertised. It's this amalgam of other meats and beaks and, yeah. and sweepings off the floor. And, and they're delicious, by the way. I mean, that's the thing that I think gets lost in these debates when they come up and go, well, I don't care what it is. It sure is yummy. You can call it dinosaur eggs. I don't care. It, it tastes good. This is an area of concern for you, huh, Brandon? They taste good. I, I agree with you. Boneless wings taste good. However, <laughs> with a bone, they taste better. This is just, this is scientific fact. Well, that this is. This is objective fact. Yeah. You know? I, I've, heard, but, I've heard, is it true that chicken fingers are not actual fingers? <laughs> <laughs> Now, that, they're next on my list. We're going to get into that, too. <laughs> Deceiving what, the American people. What damages is this person alleging? <laughs> yeah, you usually have to demonstrate damages. Right. Right. That's I a guess. good question. He could say I that don't, I did I need not. A lot, I needed a lot of bones to, for something, and there weren't <laughs> any is, This is emotional distress, clearly. Clearly a lot of The satisfaction stuff. I should have been able to anticipate I did not realize but that's still not damages. If you have a ribeye, a bone-in ribeye versus a the the meat next to the bone of a steak, I can relate to that. That's the good stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, the bone marrow, the bone marrow gets into the meat. All of is that it does something. Is to it? it. Yeah. Is it possible that the person who filed this lawsuit is a radio talk show host? Because it's, it's just like just complete talk show bait. <laughs> Absolutely. And or so, morning show TV. Uh, TV yeah, that was, you would know. But so a guy is suing. Who's he suing again? What's the Buffalo company? Wild Wings? Buffalo Wild Buffalo. Wings because they're finished. The chicken wings, wings are not wing. actual chicken wings. They're like just they're breast meat, like they're chicken nuggets that are in the shape of a wing. But the chicken wings at Buffalo Wild Wings don't have bones at all? They're boneless wings, John. Do they have wings with bones, though? Do they have the kind that are authentic wings? Do they have those available? Absolutely. They're the best one. They do have those available. Traditionals. Well, then shut up, dude. Get the ones with the bones if you're not happy about it, right? (laughs) He wants money, though. (laughs) But, you think? but he's not just doing this for the money. He's doing it for the American people and for a greater <laughs> cause. Okay? It's about the principle. <laughs> On the video pre-roll to this, we said that we would talk a little bit about sports betting in Illinois. We'll do that next week because I imagine March Madness will be very much on people's minds then as well. And but Tweet the, Madness, too. Don't forget Tweet Madness. Oh, that's right. Joe Furman. Well, we'll Joe just Furman. mention that, Eric, because uh, this is something people need to do right now on the Picayune Sentinel. And what is that? It, well, I'm doing a, a bracket tournament of all the winning tweets from the past year to see which one is the funniest tweet of the year and uh, just go to the picky and sentinel online or email me or exhort at gmail I'll put you on the list and you can vote is it a 64 team bracket it's a 64 tweet bracket yeah, yeah sure wow. and um can you just give us a sample or an example of one of the tweets in the tournament give me an eight nine seed or something like that uh, oh one of the tweets in the tournament uh yeah give me a second to call them up here um well, here's one. If Batman was real, he'd be the world's least weird billionaire. Nice, nice. Okay, uh, up against what? 
well, like my power move is saying, oh, that's my dog's name whenever I'm introduced to someone new. That's a good one. All right. I, I picked that one. That's the that's the yeah. upset I'm picking. <laughs> here's, a, here's a long one that I like. Executive. I'm just worried that the name hippos doesn't convey how hungry they are. Game designer. How about hungry hippos? Executive. Better, but not strong enough. Game designer. How about hungry, hungry, hungry hippos? Executive. Ha, no, no, let's not get crazy, but we're close. We're very close. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good one. That's a good one. It's just a list of tweets, and they're pitted one against each other, and the and the best tweet will ultimately win out. Yeah, so. right. Hey, you got to win the games. Doesn't matter who you're up against. If you're going to win the thing, win the thing. All right, boys. Brandon, Austin, Eric, nice to uh, see and hear you guys. Interesting stuff today, as always. We're produced by Ben Anderson and Pete Zimmerman. I'm John Williams, and we'll drop another pod on you next week. Thanks, guys. We'll talk Peace. soon. Later. Nice job hey, again, see Eric. See you guys nice later. Job, all of you. You betcha, fellas. See you, Brandon. See you. Subscribe to the Mincing Rascals podcast on iTunes or the Google Play Music Store. You can now also follow us on Spotify, or you can keep listening online at WGNRadio.com. 